Shapers on Jazz FM. Listen in color. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. That was Donald Byrd with Falling Like Dominoes and Donald Byrd, of course, part of the Maceo and the Max and the Jackson Sisters era. Thank you very much for joining me. It's me, Elliot Moss, with Jazz Shapers, the place where you can hear the very best of people shaping the world of jazz, blues and soul, alongside leaders, shapers from the world of business. And my business shaper today, I'm pleased to say, is Phil Cameron. He is the founder and chief executive of Number One Traveller. They are the specialist lounges, which you have probably seen if you have travelled out of Gatwick or Stansted or even other airports around the UK. He's going to be talking a lot about how he's gone from zero to almost £20 million of revenue. Yes, you heard me right, £20 million in just over 10 years. In addition to hearing from Phil, you'll be hearing from our programme partners at Michigan Dorea. Some words of advice for your business. And as well as all of that, lots of brilliant music from the shapers of jazz, blues and soul, including music from Jason Moran, Nina Simone, John Lee Hooker, and this fittingly from Kurt Elling, it's And We Will Fly. Let's catch the wind An evening breath On naked skin The gentle and soothing sound of Kurt Elling with And We Will Fly. A fitting entrance, stage left, for Phil Cameron, who is the chief executive and founder, as I said, of Number One Traveller. And they have those lovely lounges located all around British airports. Phil, thank you very much for joining me. Hi. Hi. Now, I say enter stage left, of course, because what most people who haven't heard of Number One Traveller, haven't heard of Phil Cameron, but they will know all about you by 10 o'clock, they <laughs> won't know that your background is in the world of theatre. No. And you studied theatre. I did. So, so tell me, just go back a little bit. Before you ventured into the, the, the wild world of business, um, you started obviously in that world of drama and thing. How did that happen? And then why did you shift out of it? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I had a, I had a puppet theatre at age five, and that was it, really. Uh, that, was, that was the next 30 years consigned to, to dark spaces with lovely creative things happening. And uh, I think the theatre the theatre career sort of took me as much... Although it was inevitable I was going to be in it, uh, it took me as much by surprise as I think uh, everybody else because uh, I decided I wanted to study it. I was doing plays at school. I was, you know, the drama club type person. And then when I got into the big wide world of actual theatre, I just had a, a very, very, very fast progression up to the role of producer. And I was in the West End, I guess, within, well, actually before I was 30. And uh, yeah. I mean, it just it took me by surprise. Uh, you're not just, uh, again, not just any old person that works in theatre. You are someone who's an Olivier Award winner, a Tony Award winner. I mean, mega stuff. Is it true to say, do you think, and, and maybe this is harder because it's about you, that smart people, whether they go into the theatre world or the business world, are just going to do well if they're smart and they work hard? Um, I, I quite like the word smart, and we've used the word smart as, as kind of a keyword in 
business, actually, quite often, because it, it means more than one thing. I don't think you necessarily need to be academic. I don't think you need to be clever. I don't, I, you've just got to be, you've got to be savvy, and you've got, to have, you've got to have some sort of fundamentals that protect you from the world around you, because when you're in business, you're vulnerable. Uh, business, everyone's vulnerable in business. And so to succeed, you've got to have the facts, you've got to have the knowledge, but you've also got to have some nous, and you've got to be a nice person. And, you know, there are many, there are many parts to the, to, to the melting pot. And courage, because here's the here's the man I'm talking to you now. Twelve well, that, years, yeah, you know, that, that are a bit of insanity, I guess. Well, both. I mean, but yeah. that that link between courage and insanity, and the fact that you went at some point, I'm going to shift. When was that moment that you said, "Enough, I've got an idea. Here's what I'm going to do." Out of theatre, yeah. Well, uh, I think I realised that theatre was gambling. Actually, if you're working in the subsidised sector. Uh, you you have a cushion, although there's still there's still risk because you are subsidised in commercial theatre. You know, if it's too sunny or too rainy, people don't come to the theatre. Uh, if the critics don't like you, no one comes. Uh, so uh, you know, you don't know how how well things are going to turn out. Uh, I was lucky. I think I think pretty well every play I did got at least one five star review. But you don't know if it's going to be successful. I did a production of Twelfth Night, Twelfth Night. Um, set in uh, India, the Times said it was uh, the the Bard met Bollywood and they got along famously. But nobody interested in the Bard was interested in Bollywood and vice versa. So the thing was a complete flop. So and you, you know you just don't know. You don't know how it's going to work out. So I think having uh, you know you referred to the achievements, having having been you know nominated and the winner of some awards, I thought you know I've kind of proved that I can produce it. I proved that I can do it. I proved that I've been successful. But uh, you know I wake up in a stress. I uh, lose a lot of weight. I worry senseless, and I, d- I don't know what tomorrow's going to be like or what next week's going to be like. So I thought I need to find something different. Find out how the gambler... I still be- love it. You still love it. Of course yeah. you do, but that's different. You yeah. can love it, but not have to work in it or make a buck out of right. it. Find out how Phil went from Olivier and Tony Awards to uh, setting up his own successful, very successful business. Stay with me, though, because that's coming in a minute. First, though, some more music, Phil. Nice. This, is, this is Jason Moran with Honeysuckle Rose. <laughs> Jason Moran with Honeysuckle Rose. Phil Cameron's my business shaper and very eloquently talking about the world of gambling. Not that kind of gambling, <laughs> but, but the world of theatre. But I, I like the I way... You were gambling a bit flippantly. I mean, you it's you not, did, but I know what you mean. Because the risk you, is there. It's, it's a high-risk business. High-risk, high-return. And, and thrilling as a result. You, know, you get the roller coaster with it. But you talk about it actually, and I think you could extend the metaphor to business. You said, oh, well, I worried a lot. I lost a lot of weight. There was, I didn't know what was going to happen. Oh, I know what I'll do. I'll set up a business. I'll do it in multiple places and I'll hope people come to my lounges. They better look beautiful. The food better be good. The experience better be great. I mean, that's not exactly the relaxed option, is it? You've kind of just gone from one form of gambling to another, haven't you? Well, and actually, I tried to set up an airline in between the two. Of course so, you did. Sorry, okay. I forgot. So, so what happened on that front? Well, I mean, I probably shouldn't mention that. I, I almost got away with, with, uh, with, with not talking about it. But... I don't know what the well. I do know what the connection is. I guess there's a the whole thing is very experiential. Aviation is actually a pretty theatrical thing. Um, I guess you could extend extend the metaphor out and sort of talk about both being about a journey, one one metaphorical, one not. Uh, but actually, there is something very similar to um, the world of theatre and the world of aviation, and indeed the world of lounges that I now do. 
I mean, a plane and an auditorium have hundreds of people facing forward, cheap, cheap seats at the back, expensive seats at the front. Uh, and at a given time, everyone wants something to happen. If you haven't sold tickets for it, you don't make the money and you've lost an opportunity. So, I mean, there, and, and it goes on, it goes on. So there are lots of similarities. I guess I like things that are doing things that are experiential, that are sort of premium in some way. Uh, and so it all it all tied together. It all felt like a, a good mix from one to the other. The only reason the airline didn't happen was because we didn't get the funding for it. And uh, but it was a great exercise, it was a great thing to do, and it was a really exciting thing to do. I spent uh, the best part of a year working out how this might work with some real people who really knew what they were talking about. But it, it was just never to happen. What came out of it instead was the opportunity to provide ground services in and around what the airlines do to complete that journey from driveway to runway, the bit we do, uh, and then on with the airline. And your first lounge, in fact, was not in the UK. Uh, it was at JFK because we were talking. We were we were talking about that route. We were talking about a London New York route. So I got to know the airport, their ground service provision, their premium ground service provision wasn't good enough, and I sort of just stumbled into it. And they, you know, they asked me to sort of look at it and see what uh, what I could come up with. And we came up with a plan. They rented us ten thousand square foot of space, and off we went. And you had to raise money, I imagine, because a business needs money to, to, to yep. get going. Yep. How did you do that? Well, we, we were lucky because we inherited a couple of spaces at JFK that were in pretty good nick. So it was literally lick of paint stuff to get the door open. But we went to some friends and said, can we can we borrow some cash? We found 10,000 10, each and then 11,500 returned to them within a that year. That was it. So it was a loan. We said, you know, we, we, we'll give you 15% back in a year, which we did. And, uh, and off we went. And then, you know, since then, it's, we've been through, I think, four sort of waves of investment, friends and family, if you like. Uh, it was that first round. We found um, a smaller collection of people with a little bit more money, a little bit more friends and family money. Uh, then we moved on to a private investor, Middle Eastern private investor. And now we're with uh, Northern Ventures, NVM, who are our private equity partners. Stay with me to find out how Phil has raised this money and kept everyone sweet and is still smiling over here like a very sweet person, that he definitely is. That's Phil Cameron, my business show for today. Latest travel in a couple of minutes, but before that, some words of wisdom from our programme partners at Mishkondere for your business. My name's Jonathan Berman. I'm a partner in the corporate department at Mishkondere. We spent a lot of time in our department dealing with people who are establishing new joint ventures. When we look at these relationships, they are much, much more likely to succeed if the participants have been through a process before they actually start working together. And it's the process rather than the documentation that's critical. And what they do is to address issues that they would generally feel uncomfortable about discussing with one another. The rationale is they want to get on with it and they've got a good feeling about working together. And by asking difficult questions, it, in their mind, could endanger that good feeling. But that's the wrong way of going about it. And I'll give you a couple of examples of the types of things they should be thinking about. The first is... Are we looking to maintain this business as a going concern under our ownership for the foreseeable future? Or are we establishing it with a view to building it up over three years and selling it? If one's got one view, one's got the other, it leads to huge disagreement. And it's one of the biggest reasons for businesses failing. The second is, what's the business intended to do? What is our vision? Is our vision joint? Do we go into the UK or are we looking to expand into Germany? Are we going into America? Are we focusing on one business product or service? Or are we expecting to expand beyond that? Again, having a business plan and sitting there and considering exactly how the business is intended to grow over the next few years is vital. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM.
in partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. This is Jazz Shapers, 9am to 10am, with me, Elliot Moss, every Saturday morning here on Jazz FM. British Airways, if you fancy listening, is a place you can also hear some of my fantastic guests. iTunes, if you want to go back into the annals of history and put in the words Jazz and Shapers, and you'll find some brilliant guests there as well. My business shaper today, I'm proud to say, is Phil Cameron, and he's the founder and chief exec of Number One Traveller. Phil, I think you should tell, actually, everyone um, a little bit more about these lounges, because I probably didn't do it justice at the beginning. How many are they right now in the business? Uh, six. And they are oh, building in. a couple more. But before you come back to the build, go to yeah. the building, tell me where they are right now. Uh, we have got three at Gatwick, one at Heathrow, one at Birmingham, and one at Edinburgh. And it works what, I have to pay to get in, do I? You can, if you belong to one of the member schemes, there are some worldwide member schemes of lounges. Uh, you can present your card and then you come. You can book online. You can pay cash on the door. Or you can be offered access via your airline or tour operator so they there are a lot of we have a lot of partners who who give people complimentary entrance to the lounge so the jfk one has, has stopped now i believe and you still, you've obviously got now uk based things when you've did that first one and that first day happens and the coffee's hopefully pretty hot and the croissants look all nice and they smell delicious and the sofas are clean what did it feel like as the doors opened it was quite exciting. I, I mean, I'd never really, you know, I was a theatre producer. I really I had no idea what I was doing. So uh, I uh, I learned how to carry a tray. I learned how to carry multiple trays, in fact. I learned how to make some drinks. I, you know, I just, I learned on the job. But I spent three months at JFK, uh, pretty much. I had to keep coming back to London because, you know, the back office was in London. The front office, if you like, was in New York. So I spent a lot of time. Uh, on planes. And were you very pernickety about, no, no, don't stand like this, no, I want you to hold the tray with your arm open like this, no, the coffee's not hot enough. I mean, that, I imagine, is what you had to be. Completely obsessive. And and the, the, the ongoing challenge when you have a business that grows as fast as our business grows is making sure that all of those things are still right. You bring new people on, you need to make sure... Uh, that they behave in the way you want them to behave. Are you ever embarrassed about that obsessiveness, though? Because sometimes I speak to people and they go, yeah, I know I've got to be like that, but I I kind of have to stop myself. Or do you think it's just part of the quality standard that Phil Cameron as the boss brings? I, I think I think if you're, not, if you're not obsessive about it and you're not the most passionate advocate about it, the business will fail. You've got to you, you've got to be absolutely determined that what you've decided to create as a business is going to succeed. It's really challenging, and it's really really challenging at airports because if I, for whatever reason, lose a waiter and I'm running a restaurant in central London, there'll be twenty people dropping their CVs through the door. I can call any of them; they can be in tomorrow. They know what they're doing. Happy days. I've got to find people who uh, are a near an airport, b can get there for a four o'clock in the morning start, c uh, can pass. Uh, background security checks, uh, and then of course I have to get them on ID, which takes six weeks. So it, I've got a, it's a much bigger challenge to get people in. And we are, as part of as part of our obsessive approach, we you know we want to have really good, really friendly people. And then of course this this business is growing; it's growing at a great pace, which means that keeping up, making sure that everything is still right as you grow, is very difficult. It's hard enough keeping a hospitality business on its toes and delivering well when it's growing. Uh, it's even harder. Stay with me for more insight from Phil Cameron, my business shaper today, about what it takes to run a multiple site big business that's growing super fast. Time for some music. This is Nina Simone with Don't Let Me Be Misunderstood. Baby, you understand me now. If sometimes you see that I'm mad, don't you know no one alive can always be an angel? 
When everything goes wrong, you see some bad. But I'm just a soul who's in intent- That was Nina Simone with Don't Let Me Be Misunderstood. Phil Cameron's my business shaper today. And Phil, we've been talking about, as you said, your burgeoning business and, and what you do, retaining the obsessiveness, but also somehow or other not, not being super hyper nervous every day of the week. Over the years, what have the things um, been that have been hardest for you to cope with? Because it sounds like you've got your head round, you know, when someone else is kind of at fault and you need to address it. You've got your head round the inherent logistics of, of, of service in an environment where people, as you said, have to arrive at 4am in the morning and so on. What are the bits that are still tricky for you, do you think? Uh, it, will, it will always be a challenge at an airport operating 18, sometimes 24 hours a day to deliver that service consistently. And also the expectations of people are very, very different uh, when they're travelling. Everyone's in a heightened state of emotion. So, so you've really got lots of things working together to, you know, conspiring to make this the most difficult bit of quality hospitality to deliver. So there is always that ongoing challenge. I think the thing for me that's been difficult is, uh, is really understanding how ongoing business works. When uh, you are in theatre, it's project by project. Project happens, you start, it all works out beautifully or not. Uh, and then the project's over, you move on to the next project. This has been going on for me for 10 years. The lounges have been operating for, for eight. And being really understanding business, long-term business, long-term investments in staff, uh, in brand, in products, and keeping ahead of the customer is something that I've just not been used to. So it's been, it's been new for me. You know, I got to 35 and suddenly I was learning about proper sustainable business and that's an ongoing challenge because now we're at a scale where you know uh, audits are you know that much more scrupulous because we're at a certain level of business we are now in a, a world a very happy world i may say of private equity where we you know the rules are different the expectations are different and uh, we're also operating on a much larger scale so we're a much sort of more significant player i think within the community in which we operate so so that again presents its challenges because the expectations increase and is a way through that to have fantastic people around you I and mean, it's a truism i guess but team must be critical because you can't be everywhere being obsessive to the level you need to be or indeed have the the knowledge that you need to have in all the different areas you've just described i love the fact that in my business I have a, a two co-directors, two executive co-directors. I have a couple of non-execs as well, all of whom I have a huge amount of respect for and all of whom are much better in their sectors than me. And then I have uh, uh, seven heads of department uh, who are just awesome and they all do their jobs much better than I could ever do them. And it's, you know, it is a truism. It's, you know, maybe even a bit of a cliche. But if you surround yourself with the right people, you're in a great place. And, and the role of a CEO, I, you know, I find more and more uh, is less about being the technically capable person or the you know the specialist. Uh, it's about being the Pied Piper uh, and being able to to uh, balance that uh, with with a broad understanding of how everything needs to interlink. Because my role really is to get those ten or so people talking to each other and working together optimally, and then you know job done. But I have great people, and that that is that is absolutely key to uh, any success we may have. And in one word, how would they describe you? <laughs> I don't think they would be able to do it in in uh, in one word. Probably tough, but you know they might not say that. I don't know. Maybe that maybe that's my paranoia. We'll have to ask. Yes. Final chat coming Please up with don't. Phil. I won't. Don't worry. Final chat coming up with Phil, my business shaper today. Plus, we're playing some music from John Lee Hooker. That's after the latest traffic and travel here on Jazz FM. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM in partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal.
down We're all for your feet Take you home with me Put you in my house That was Boom Boom from John Lee Hooker. I've been talking to Phil Cameron today here on Jazz Shapers and and we decided, or he decided rather, that maybe his team would define and describe him as tough, but maybe they couldn't just find the one word you were saying. I think think it's a balance. I I I think I confused them slightly. There's Are you little... mercurial? You strike me as someone who quite who could be. I imagine you're very hard, and then if you're in a in a certain creative mode, they have to know that, and it could be a, another one which is much more businessy businessy mode. And then they just it's, people that read you, I imagine they can see the different heads, the words or gummage heads that you put on. And I, the one... I think the things like you know, I, I I have that sort of creative you know angle, which I guess makes me a little bit volatile. But I, I well, <laughs> there's it, steam it, it kind of, coming kind of, from his ears. Well, but there's a trade-off, which is that, you know, we, uh, I'm, I'm massively enthusiastic about great ideas. So, you know, the, the, the craziness sort of creates, creates some good stuff as well. But on the other hand, I kind of, you know, I know stuff and that's, that's, that's the key thing. I mean, I, you know, I don't know enough stuff. I'm not as good at knowing stuff as they are, but I do put two and two together and that's part, of, that's part of the job. So, you know, I want to know, I, n- know is something that kind of needs a bit of a bit of explaining. It's if, if if there's a great idea out there, why can't we do it? Why can't why can't we be doing this? Because we want to progress. We want to we want to keep ahead. Do, do the private equity guys and you said I have a very good relationship with them. You, you mentioned earlier. Do they like you because a you've got great ideas and and b you make money um, and c there's a happy team. I mean, is it is it as simple as that? I think I think beyond that, it is. It, it's kind of as simple as that. But I think beyond that, um, they've got to know that uh, that you kind of get it and you respond. Well, it's it's about. It's not just about where are we at. You know, we are uh, we are moving forward at a great pace, as you say. We are uh, uh, we are making money, but actually, how responsive are we? And I think it's about the working relationship. So you know, they put. They put forward ideas, we put forward ideas, we debate them, sometimes I win, sometimes they win in a debate, sometimes we all agree, sometimes we disagree. Uh, it doesn't matter as long as the, the balanced approach is a really quality one and that things are being sort of processed and responded to in, in, in the right way. Everyone's, ev- everyone wants this company to do well, uh, but we all have slightly different views of how to do it. And if we were all sitting around agreeing with each other the whole time, I think we wouldn't, we wouldn't actually get where we need to be. I've made some really tough decisions about things we're not going to do, uh, which I've been very uncomfortable with because because, uh, you know, I want to do stuff. But at the same time, I think to myself, I know this is right. So I have to, I walk out the room trying to persuade myself it's, it's right sometimes. But it's, it's, the, it's the sort of relationship where um, you know that good's going to come out of it because you know you've got the right people around you. The future, in a nutshell, what is it looking like? You've been doing it 10 years. Have you got a plan in your head? Go, I'm not going to do it for that much longer. I've, I, the sky's the limit. I can never imagine not working. Where's your head at the moment? Well, I think, I think those are two different things. One's about me, and I, I certainly can't imagine myself uh, not working. Uh, I think the people around me certainly can't imagine me not working. <laughs> oh, they can imagine, Phil. They can, imagine <laughs> they can dream. They can dream. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> but that is all they can do. Yeah. The question about the business is, we, I, I guess we want the thing to grow. We, we still want, we definitely want it to grow. We want it to keep uh, developing. Uh, I've always got a question whether I'm the right person to lead it. I definitely, you know, I definitely feel that I am at the moment. Uh, everyone seems to indicate that I am. Um, but, you know, you never know what's going to happen with business. You never, know, you never know when the right time is to hand over to somebody else because there's a new era in the business. Business. Right now, I feel really good about it, and uh, we're going great guns. Well, it's a good story, and listen, good luck with the next ten million, and the next ten million after that, and the happiness that comes with it, <laughs> Phil, as you uh, grow the, your. The, ha- the happiness comes out of good business. It comes of out of creating good business. Yeah, that's and then the money is a, is a, obviously just. Well, a it's got to be a. Bi- it's got to be a byproduct. We talk about product-led profitability, and uh, you know, you get the product right, people will come. We'll make the money. Uh, it's as simple as that, really. You can't. You can't. You can't start working out how you're going to make money. No. 
good stuff. Listen, just before I let you go, thank you so much. You've been a fantastic guest. What's your song choice and why have you chosen it? Ah, uh, Dream Little Dream, Mama Cass. Love this song. It featured in a, a play, I think it was 1993, by Jonathan Harvey called Beautiful Thing, which was a play about coming of age and actually, as it happens, coming out. And it was at the Bush Theatre. It had some wonderful people. Sophie Stanton, who was then in my first uh, West End production of Top Girls. Johnny Lee Miller, who was in, actually, think about it, my last West End production. Uh, someone who watched over me. Uh, and it's just a brilliant, brilliant play. And it was one of those moments that was truly seminal. You know, people talk about seminal moments, and uh, especially in theatre. And it was just one of those blinding moments where I went into a tiny pub theatre in Shepherd's Bush, the Bush Theatre, uh, and walked out stunned it was just an a, an amazing piece but also this song this song just keeps coming back because uh it when i was travelling to new york when i was going backwards and forwards to new york in those first 3 months and indeed 5 years that we had you know we had the contract at, at uh, at JFK, uh, it was one of those sort of songs that you kind of listen to when you were travelling, when you were sort of jet lagged, when you were out and about. You know, three o'clock in the morning in a cab, getting to three o'clock in the morning UK time, uh, getting to catch the last flight out of JFK back home, and uh, it's just got a great vibe for me, and it's got a great feeling. It's about you know, it's about you know, love and wanting to be with people and all those good things that good songs should be. And now to sing this lovely bell. Here is Mama Cat's. Stars shining bright above you Night breezes seem to whisper I love you Birds singing in the sycamore tree That was the seminal dream, a little dream from Mama Cuss, the song choice of my business shaper, Phil Cameron, a really enthusiastic uh, lover of that particular song. What a fresh take on business. Really great to hear. Totally obsessive by his own admission. I think he has to be, and he believes probably business people do have to be in general, and enthusiastic to the end. A really, really powerful advocate for his own business and for the the belief that you have to be the most powerful advocate in your own business if it's going to work. Great stuff. Do join me again. Same time, same place. That's next Saturday, 9am for Jazz Shapers. Meantime, stay with us. Coming up next, it's Nigel Williams. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal.